0: Well, good evening and greetings in Jesus' name. The only one who is worthy and the one that I trust our focus will be on this weekend. Now, I look around and I know maybe about 5% or 3% of the people here. And yet we have common ground because that same Jesus the one we sang about that God sent His Son uh, is my way to heaven. He's your way to heaven. He's the only way to heaven. And so I trust that we will uh, we will worship and, and have a focus on Him this weekend. Because, like Brother Todd shared, we're all needy people and. Uh, I'll just, I'll just say what I'm sure many speakers have said before, that the speaker is just as needy as those that are listening. And I need, I need God's help and I need God's work in my own life. And I assure you that whatever is shared this weekend is not because uh, I feel like there's a great need in your life. It may well be that there's a great need in my own life. and Maybe I'll just introduce uh, myself briefly. My name is Lonnie Yoder from Holmes County, Ohio. My wife Krista, I'm uh, very glad she's able to be with me. Some speakers also know that sometimes you go without your companion and uh, this is extra special. We have our uh, four-year-old daughter along. We have six children, uh, ranging from uh, 18 down to four. The one that's along is the youngest. And I assure you, God has been much better to us than we deserve. And we want Him to receive all the glory. Uh, I have been blessed by by different people that are here tonight. I I was blessed in meeting Brother Todd four years ago. And I had a nice time of sharing, although it was brief. Um, Brother Dan would remember, uh, I believe it was just over 21 years ago, my wife and I met at Maranatha Bible School. Dan Schrock was the chorus director, and I'm not sure I'm not sure if I should ask if he still has the same amount of energy he had back then. But I know he was a blessing, and uh, it was tremendous. Uh, that was a that was a, a wonderful time in my life when God worked, and and it's where Krista and I met. And Brother Lester, uh, remember him from revival meetings in, in the church where my wife is from in Virginia. So it's uh, it's been a blessing. God has been good, and uh, let's let's pray for this weekend that all of us, as Brother Todd already introduced, that we would have our cups turned up. You know, we never get. I, I'm confident. I don't know who the oldest person is here tonight, but I'm confident if we would ask him, he would say he still feels that need of God's infilling. I don't think it ever goes away. In fact. Uh, and maybe this is partly why I've chosen the theme I have. You know, I'm, I'm in what they call middle age. And I'm finding it kind of a difficult stage where all at once you're faced with some harsh realities of, you know, maybe I won't get everywhere I was hoping to get. Maybe I won't get everything done I was hoping to get done. It's a little like the man, and, and, and maybe this is only partially parallel, but the man whose goal was to lose 10 pounds, and he said he only has 15 to go. Sometimes middle age feels a little like that. But I'm convinced tonight that life is made up of choices. And that's that's what I want the weekend. I've chosen a theme for the weekend of crucial moments in life. And you know, we have an enemy of our soul that, that wants us to... to to not think about that aspect of life. That that life as you look back and as, as the pieces all come together, whether it's through Bible school or or, or whatever the case may be. And, and our backgrounds are diverse. We come from all kinds of different backgrounds. But life is made up of choices. And one day those choices will take us to one of two places. To, sorry, I almost said spend. But I don't think spend is a proper word. To be for all of eternity. And that's why... That's why church life, that's why the Christian life is so serious because it's taking us to one of two places for all of eternity. And let's never forget that. I have a poem I I may read every evening or every service, I'm not sure. But it's a poem that, that we often hear the one phrase in the poem, but it's actually a complete poem. It was written by Charles Studd. I'm not sure how many years ago. But uh, the poem, I believe, is entitled Only One Life, T'will Soon Be Past. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, t'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before His judgment seat. Only one life, T'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, The still small voice, Gently pleads for a better choice, Bidding me selfish aims to leave, And to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, T'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, A few brief years, Each with its burdens, Hopes and fears, Each with its clays I must fulfill, Living for self or in His will. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasures on thy throne. Only one life twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say it worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I trust tonight that I'm speaking to a group of people that we realize that. That we are building and we need to build for eternity. We need to build for Jesus Christ. Tonight I'd like to think a little about that theme of crucial moments in life and and i don 't know if you, if any come to your mind or not but but sometimes when we come to crucial times in life, we don 't even realize the magnitude of what 's happening and of, of how crucial this decision is that lies before us and and i'd like to, to just briefly talk about two examples. the first one is from the Bible and it 's found in Esther chapter four and and i 'm reading through the book of Esther right now and i 've just been impressed by uh, here was someone that, that was willing to be used of God. And, and of course this story comes to a very crucial point in, in Esther chapter 4 when, when uh, Esther had, she had gotten married to the king and, and, or she had become the new queen there. And, and then it was discovered that all the Jews were going to be destroyed. And, and of course Mordecai is distraught and all the Jews in the kingdom are distraught and, and they're called to go to fasting and prayer and, and to seek the God of heaven. To be saved. Verse 13 of Esther chapter 4 says, Then Mordecai commanded to answer, Esther, think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And you know what I find kind of troubling as we think about uh, these examples? And the other one is from my wife's grandmother. And I'm not sure how long this has been now, but but she died at 102 years of age. I believe she was born in 1908 or something like that. But as a teenager, she was forced to make a very a difficult decision because she had grown up in a home where, where her father went to one church setting and her mother went to another church setting and, and she was now coming of age and she would, have, she would be forced to make this decision now what path is she going to take and, and then there was another factor that came in she highly respected this young man and I think there was some interest in each other and yet they were from different backgrounds and she was forced to make this decision and he had patience it might have taken her a couple years to make this decision but finally she she decided you know what she admired the stability in this, the home of this young man and she chose that path and tonight I'm a recipient our home is a recipient of, of the, some of the teaching that went on over the years and I've now seen generations come and go and now you can see where these other groups these, th- these decisions that she was pondering should she go this way or should she go that way now the results are evident And let's you and I never forget. Let's not let Satan convince us that the the decisions we make are not crucial because they are very, very crucial. And parents, I would just, I would just encourage you in this as you think about this. You know, we often hear children have to make their own decision. Then that's exactly right. No child has ever made it into the kingdom of God by writing on mom and dad's coat sleeves, so to speak, or or, or by holding on to mom and dad's coattails. No child has ever made it. But, we can give them a framework with which to make their decisions that will prove to be a blessing. And as we think about crucial moments, we think about God speaking to our heart. I believe we must be in the habit of saying yes. And this is what the message is, is kind of based on this evening. If we've, if we've ever said no, and we've never gone back and repented, you know, that has a way of leading us down a path that eventually the Lord will no longer be Lord of our life. And I'd like to, I'd like to think tonight about the title for the message is The Door That Should Never Be Opened. And perhaps the subtitle is, The Danger of Having a Greater Desire to Please Ourselves Than to Please God. I wonder if we're honest with that question tonight as we think about, about God's working in our life and you know it's so easy or it seems so easy when, when everything's just kind of rolling along but then something comes or uh, there's a decision to be made that goes against What I wanted. What my flesh wanted. Have you come to those places in life where you realize that now we need to make a decision that's not based on my will, not based on my flesh, or not based on what I want, but based on the will of God for my life. I trust you've come to those decisions. The door that should never be opened. And I'm kind of fascinated by doors. I recently had a sermon on doors and I studied about doors and and I'd like to just just touch a little bit about it, but doors represent a transition uh, that go from one place to the next. And and doors are used for all kinds of things. They're used for, for privacy. They're used for safety. You come to a door that says radioactive chemicals, you'll probably think twice before you open that door. In John chapter 10, Jesus said twice, He said, I am the door. And the only way we're going to go get into the sheepfold, the only way we're going to get into the kingdom of God is through Jesus Christ. We touched on that earlier. Jesus said, I am the door. But you know what the problem is? Is that... In my mind, I see Jesus standing there by a door and that's the only way in, but but what we'd like is we'd like another way in from the inside where we've gone through the wrong door and we'd like to some way find a way in there without Jesus Christ, without going through Jesus Christ, without going through the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the cross is to them that, and I can't quite get it, but But to them that perish, it's foolishness. But to us, it's the power of God. I know that's not verbatim, but it's the power of God. It's the only way that you and I are going to get to where we want to go. And that's, that's, there's such a crucial area at that door. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he promises us that if we're willing to open up, he's going to come in. But somebody has rightly said the doorknob is on the inside. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians. There's a verse there that I believe is so crucial as we think about crucial moments in life and as we think about God uh, changing us into the image that he wants us to be. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, uh, there's, a, there's a key there, I believe. It says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, the Apostle Paul, if we turn back, and, and perhaps we will, uh, verse 14, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to say, having therefore. In other words, pointing back to what what he had just said, that there is not to be any mixing of light and dark. God's will is never for light and dark to mix. You can go back to... All the way back to Genesis and see when light and dark started to mix, you can go to the sin of Achan and and to all kinds of different Scriptures that that will spell it out very clearly. Light and dark are not to mix. Good and evil are not to mix. But then he goes on and he says, having therefore these promises, in other words, the promises that if we're going to separate ourselves from the world, if we're going to be willing to live under the cross of Jesus Christ and separate ourselves from the world, then God promises that He will be our Father. Verse 18, And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I'm not sure if there's a more beautiful promise in the Scriptures when God says He promises to be our Father. But then I believe Paul gives us something that is very crucial. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The holiness that God wants from you and I is one that starts on the inside and works its way to the outside. In other words, it's something that gets a hold of us all the way inside and then spills over into everything we do in life. And that goes pretty deep. That touches motives. In other words, I, I don't think tonight that God is just concerned about what we do, but He's concerned about why we do what we do. That's the meaning of motives. The reason for doing something, something especially one that's hidden or not obvious. And tonight as we think about the door that should never be opened, and I understand, I'm, I'm, I keep speaking about that door, we haven't really gotten to what that door is, but... Let's, let's keep going into the Scriptures a little bit. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. There's some comforting promises here. 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 to 21. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him for if our heart condemn us God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things beloved if our heart condemn us not then have we confidence toward God and you know there's 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 something here that you and I can claim that there's a comfort here there's there's something that i believe uh, we can claim about God and about our hearts and about the times when when we had right hearts and we had right motives and we wanted to do what was right, but somehow we just came up short. And I believe that God would say, you know what, I saw your heart. I saw that you wanted to do it and maybe things just fell flat a little bit and, and you know, I have a couple of things down here. But maybe in trying to witness... It seemed like the words just wouldn't come out right. Maybe you've never been there, but I have, where well, we had this desire to witness to somebody, tell them about the love of God and tell them about God's plan for their life, but somehow it just didn't come out quite right. But I believe God is pleased when we try. You parents, and I don't think I, I, I doubt that it's a lot different in Wisconsin than it is in Ohio, but I know sometimes it's overwhelming. And it's discouraging, and you wonder if you're gaining ground, if you're making headways. But you know what? If our hearts are right, God sees that. God sees our faltering efforts, and and yes, sometimes it seems like we're not getting where we want to go, but keep on trying. God bless you as you keep on trying. Or maybe we try to befriend someone or reach out, and. But we're not sure what to say, but you know, when people sense we care and when God sees the motives of our heart, I believe He blesses that and He honors that. And I believe we take great comfort in that, that God knows our hearts, He knows our motives. But I'd like to at least, to present at least a portion of the flip side, and I hope there's nobody here with wrong motives. But I'd like to touch on it just in case. I'd like to touch on it to encourage us that God, God knows those motives. God knows the motives. And God carefully honors man's free will. Now when I say honors, I'm not talking about always blessing when there's wrong motives. I'm talking about He carefully allows man's free will. That's the way he designed it. There are things about God that I believe will tend to confuse us if we don't factor that in, and, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but, but there are things that you read about God and you read about the, the history of God's people and how things happened and some of the things Jesus said about what it's going to be like when, when Jesus returns and when men are at that great throne of judgment. I believe there's things that will confuse us if we don't understand that God designed man with free will and free choice. And He allows us to make those choices. And there is no question, you you cannot miss that, that aspect of this book that when it's all over, those that make it to heaven will be those that chose to. And I understand tonight that there, perhaps there's people here who, who through other people's choices have had or maybe still have a very difficult life and we're probably all familiar with people who, who are living with consequences of other people's choices. And, and, and I understand and I believe we need to care and have a concern for that. But tonight... Praise God. By the grace of God, by the power of Jesus Christ, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, we can choose to stay on the right road and make it to heaven. There are many scriptures, and I don't want to turn to all of them. Um, in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, the Bible says, we must through much tribulation Enter into the kingdom of God. And I want to bring this out to say this, that that those that will make it faithfully, those that will will get there and make it to heaven, will have had plenty of opportunity to choose otherwise. Scripture is crystal clear on that, that they will have had many opportunities to choose otherwise. We must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution maybe we'll just turn yet to first Peter 4 verses 12 to 16 and you don't have to feel obligated to turn to all these scriptures but first Peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 16 it talks about the fact too, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering that when His glory shall be revealed ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Notice that, that these are people that have come through intense suffering. They've come through things that that many people today are saying it's not worth it. We can't do it. They're throwing it away. But, but here it says on their part He is evil spoken of, but on your part He is glorified. What's been our pattern in life? When things don't make sense, don't add up, don't stack up, has God still been glorified? And he goes on, he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. In other words, make a difference. There's times we suffer because we've done wrong, because we've made wrong and foolish choices. There's other times we're suffering simply because it's God's will. That there's things that, that come into our life that, that maybe I shouldn't say because I, I don't want to... I don't want to lift up sin as God's will. And there's many times when, when men are doing things they shouldn't be doing. But the fact is that God has allowed it. And you're in my life. And is He still receiving glory? Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You know, God could have well fenced off the tree in the Garden of Eden. And He could well keep you and I from anything that's difficult. But how much glory would He receive? Would He do that? And I'd like to tonight to explore a little deeper how God allows that free will to play out. And the first one I have is God has given clear instructions what the motives of my heart should be, but He won't violate the motives I, the motives I choose. And I wonder tonight, what is the biggest roadblock to getting closer to God? You know, the Bible has all sorts of things to say. Jesus talked about terrible sins in Matthew chapter 15. He talked about evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witnesses and blasphemies. And then there's the sins in Galatians chapter 5, and we could turn to them, but I don't think we will. But there's another whole list of things listed there, the, the, the deeds of the flesh, and, and things that, that to us are just terrible. But is that the biggest roadblock to God working in your and my life? I don't believe it is. I believe the biggest roadblock to God's work in your and my life is a closed heart. And maybe not the whole heart closed, but but portions of it or areas of it closed to where, you know, it's kind of like, no thank you. I don't want to go any further. This is how I've decided I'm going to live. And you know what God says? God says, I will honor that, or I will allow that choice. A closed heart. All those other things, the evil thoughts, the murders, the blasphemies, and all those things, the adulteries, God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, those things can be forgiven. And, and, and I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen too, and I hope you've seen it in your own life, that when we open up our hearts that we allow God to work, and we come before God with a true spirit of repentance. We talked earlier about these two doors, and friends, if, if I miss, I just hope, hope I don't miss saying this tonight, that that you know so often people are inside that door and, and they'd like to find some way to avoid coming through Jesus. We talked about this earlier, but, but you take sins of divorce and, 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 and things that people just simply do not want to get rid of and they'd like to find some other way through there. But when people come before God with a true spirit of repentance and pouring out their heart and opening their heart and saying, Lord, now it's about You and about Your choices for my life. You'll see God do things that are tremendous. But if tonight there there is there are areas in my heart that I refuse God access to, Or maybe there's others pleading with me to change and, or pleading with me to see things that, that I just refuse to see. I believe God has said He allows us to go down those roads. Maybe there's initial roadblocks. Maybe there's, like I said, maybe there's people that will plead with you. But if you insist on your way, God will allow that. James says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. James 4, verse 8. And again, I don't know, I don't know your heart, I don't know your life, but I know today many people have made choices that have been so tragic. They've gone against what the Word of God clearly teaches and yet, you know, there's no problem here. Everything's okay. If we insist on trying to deal with the problems in our life through self-justification and self-gratification, it's a door that I believe God allows us to go through. But we should always keep that door shut. Let's go to Numbers in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 22. It's probably a familiar passage to most of us, maybe all of us. But I believe here we get an introduction of some things that will tend to confuse us about God. And I'm not saying tonight I understand this passage totally at all. But I believe... I believe there's some things we can learn here as we think about the life of Balaam. Numbers chapter 22, I'd like to read the first 22 verses. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side Jordan by Jericho. And Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. And, and maybe just, just note here what's happening. Here's a worldly man that, you know, he's, he's scared. In, in our way of putting it, he's scared. Uh, he sees this great force and he sees the way God is working and we're going to be next. I'm going to have to do something about it. And why is it? Why is it? There's a question that I believe we should ponder. Why is it that the world can come to the church and find people within the church that are willing to help when they're scared? That are willing to help when when the, the message they should be given is, you know, you need to repent and you need to turn to God. Why is it that why is it that they can find people in the church that will paint a different picture? But Balak is scared. Verse 5. He sent messengers therefore unto Balaam the son of Beor, to Pathor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me, peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I water, I know that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou thou cursest is cursed. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand, and they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balaam. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me, and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which, over, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Do you think that was a message hard to understand? You know, how often, if we're really honest, is it that the problem is not that we we have a hard time understanding the message. The problem is we don't want to follow the message. That's the problem. Verse 13, And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up and they went unto Balak and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. And I wish maybe there was a period there and now we'd see Numbers chapter 23. But there isn't. Verse 15, And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me, for I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now therefore I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him. Why would God say go? And just two verses later, the Bible says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Balaam because he went. I heard one man put it this way, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. He said if we're bound and determined to go in a certain direction... God will step aside and second the motion. I don't want to minimize it all tonight that there's roadblocks, there's warnings, there's people that say, please consider your ways. But when we insist, God allows. I'd like to think about a couple points from this passage. Number one is God's people need to be careful not to get wrapped up in the values of the world. You know, again, this is a very worldly problem, fear. If you want to see the difference between a child of God, somebody that fears God, somebody that knows a, a vital relationship with God, one of the biggest differences you're going to see between him and a man who thinks everything's going fine, everything's going well, watch what happens one dilemma comes up. All at once there's, there's fear and there's insecurity and you know, what's going to happen to us and what's going to happen to our children? What are we going to do? And you see that in Balak. And there's another question that I believe comes from this and that is, how did Balak know to go to Balaam? And how did he know to send the people back? We... We weren't there. We can't see how this all unfolded. I don't know, did Balaam flinch a little? Was it obvious that, you know, I wish I could give you one answer? But unfortunately, God said this, so I'm going to have to give you a different answer. I don't know. But I do know that the prophets went back more and more, not the prophets, the, the servants went back more and more honorable. I still don't think I have that right. But more and more honorable, promising, promising him more and more and more. And you know, his words sound so right. His words sound so, words sound so good. But instead of saying, I told you yesterday that this is what God said, he said, now wait here while I go ask God. And probably to everybody's surprise, the second time God said go. You know, it's amazing how people will find people that are willing to help. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe that's different in the Northwest. It's been amazing. It seems like you can drop people from 2,000 miles apart and within three days they'll have found each other. If they have... The same gripe about so and so, or the same desire for so and so, or whatever the case may be, it seems like within three days they'll have found each other. Second Peter chapter two verse fifteen tells us, "Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness," and Jude eleven tells us, "They ran greedily after the error." of Balaam. You know, were there people there that Balak knew, I might as well not waste my time with him. He's not going to get me what I want. You know what's interesting? You know what's sobering? I'm known for something. You know what's perhaps a little more sobering yet? And my life speaks louder than my words. Again, I don't know what the body language was, but Balaam's words were just right. You know, I don't care, I don't care if you promise me your whole kingdom. I'm only going to say what God wants me to say. My life speaks louder than my words. Number two, we need to be satisfied with God's answer. Verses twelve to twenty, and we won't go back and, and reread them. But verses twelve to twenty, we need to be satisfied with God's answer. You know, in Luke chapter eighteen, uh, there's there's the story there, about, and it involves a widow and a judge, and and the widow wants to be avenged of her adversary, and, and she keeps asking, keeps asking, and keeps asking, and she's commended. But do you think there's you think it's just coincidental that she's not asking for you know, my salary is only thus and thus and I I really need double. You think it's just coincidental that that's not what she's asking for? And tonight I encourage you, if you have a need in your life or a need in your family or a need that you know of and you know it's God's will that, that this and this person gets saved, or or you know it's God's will that that this, this person stops doing some of these things, or whatever the case may be, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep asking God. But when it involves your flesh, when it involves things that I that I really want to do, and God says no, and we keep asking, you know, we've seen this with the covering. There are people that have that have come to God and said, you know, should I keep wearing a covering? And well, obviously God said, you know, you, you can keep on but just make it about half the size for a while. And then a little later now it shrinks down to where, you know, if if you're not careful you might miss it, and the next thing you know it it's gone, and God told him to do it. you will find no authority anywhere in this book to ask God about things that He's already revealed. And when when God told Balaam, "No, no, I want these people blessed, don't go with them. And he came back and asked again, it was dangerous ground. And I would say that if we keep asking God about things he's told us no to, we've found roadblocks, but we're not not—we're determined. We're going to get around those roadblocks, and eventually we'll get to a place where we feel good about getting around those roadblocks. We can expect the same thing that Balaam faced. You know, he went, and, and he faced frustration, and he faced impatience, and, you know, come on, this, this dumb beast, he, he, get with it, you know. Don't be surprised if the end result is a cold spiritual life that no longer desires God's will, that no longer desires a sensitivity. Oh yeah, we may still come to church just like we've done for years and years and years. In fact, we may look just like we've always looked. But if you and I are honest, is there a hunger for God in our life? Or was there a time maybe we said no? It reminds me of the example in 1 Samuel chapters 8 and 9 where the children of Israel were determined to have a king. And you know what God told Samuel? He said, go ahead and give them a king. They haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. We cannot expect constant roadblocks if we're determined to follow our own way. Psalm 106 talks about the children of Israel lusting after things and tempting God. And you know what verse 15 says? It says, And He gave them their requests, but sent leanness unto their soul. Opening the door that will allow us to to get our way, to get our will. is a very, very dangerous door and it should never be opened. You know what's sobering? If we really want God in second place, where, you know, there's just always this tension and and my parents or, or somebody else in authority or whatever the case may be, there's just always this tension and... We wouldn't say it. But if we really want God in second place, that's exactly where He'll be. Do you remember the, the ones with the talents where, where the one came back and, and God commended him, uh, the, the, the Lord commended him, and the other came back and the Lord commended him? The third one came back and said, I knew what you were like. And the response was, Yeah, that, that's exactly what I'm going to be like. That's put in my own words. But God allows the motives we choose. And where there have been wrong motives and wrong desires in my heart, let's not try to look for a door on the inside somehow that will avoid going through Jesus Christ, going going away from falling on our face and repenting and now now allowing God's will to have full control of my life. Let's not try it. Go back to the door. We'll get to that in a little bit. Third one I have here is so what can be done? And I believe there's no greater thing we can do than to start with God. I heard I heard a devotional at a wedding, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and it was it was such a good devotional. And this, this is an older man that's, that's weathered some storms in life and I was so blessed. He, he, he admonished this couple. He said, you know, you can bring your plans to God and say, look God, here's our plans. Would you please bless our plans? Or you can come to God and say, God, would you show us your plan? And then we want to walk in that. I believe there's an eternity of difference there. How often have we come to God and say, look, I have my plans, and, and if you don't mind, we'll just kind of go with this route, and, and would you please bless this? And if you and I are honest with ourselves, can we look back to times in life where we've come before God and said, I want to surrender everything to you. You know, I don't want to bring my plans to you and have you bless those. I want you to reveal your plans to me. And you know what's maybe even more important than thinking back to those times, but is that evident in my life today? Is it evident that I'd, I'd rather have God's plan for my life than my own plan for my life? Is that evident? I thought of a hypothetical situation where a boy wants to become a baseball player. And I I hope nobody here wants to become a baseball player. But a boy wants to become a baseball player. And you know, at first there's a lot of warnings. There's people that are sharing Scripture with him and pointing to examples and parents are pleading with him. and, And... But he just keeps persisting. And finally, he's a baseball player. And at first, things are kind of rough and it seems like things aren't going the way way he he envisioned them, just like Balaam, remember? I think he thought, woof, great, I mean, you know. And it it just wasn't that way. But then all at once, things start going well. And everything just kind of seems to click and everything comes together. And he may even, even say things like, Look at how God is blessing me. You know what's interesting about the day and age in which we live? Experience trumps obedience. Experience trumps obedience. If we have enough experience... That must be a sign of God's blessing. And it really doesn't matter how we got there in the first place. But this boy who became a baseball player, if one day he realizes his wrong and now wants to make everything right, you know what's so, so important? Go back to the door where you first told God no. Where you first rejected what was God's will for your life. Go back there and repent. And do just what that old minister encouraged the young couple to do. Now ask God, you show me your plans for my life. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The door that should never be opened is the door of justifying wrong, of justifying sin,
1: of justifying
0: selfishness and then turning around and calling it spirituality. That's the door that should never be opened. Because when when that happens, when... When we've we've gotten places because of our selfishness of wanting our own way, and then we say, "Boy, look at how God is blessing me! Everything's just clicking and everything's working out all right." Well, now God is getting the credit for something He didn't want in the first place. Let me just be clear about this thing with experience. I believe very clearly that obedience leads to experience. Let's never forget that. We don't reject experience. Experience is a wonderful expression. When you when you stand up and share your testimony, your heartfelt testimony of, of how God is working in your heart, that's wonderful. But obedience needs to lead to experience. And let's not let experience drive. I could take you to a to a a situation that I find so tragic tonight. And, and th- this was a, this was a couple that we knew well. You know, and I meant to say this earlier, there's probably nobody here whose struggle is with wanting to become a baseball player. But there's other things we can put in the blanks. Plenty of things. I could put some things in the blanks. But this, this example, this couple, there was another couple that wanted to do something. And I'm going to be maybe too vague here. I don't want to expose anybody. But there was another couple who the wife wanted to do something, and but the husband didn't like it. And this woman told her, you know what? That's how it was for us too. And I had to convince him that this is the road we need to go down. And down that road they went. And down other roads they went. And today, if you'd see the home, it's so tragic. But all the while, look at how God is blessed. Look at how spiritual we are. Let's let God have that control. I'd like to catch an end of Balaam's life yet. Catch a picture of the end of Balaam's life. Numbers 31, verses 6 to 8. Such tragic words, and it wouldn't have had to be this way. Had he just, when they came the second time with more riches and more honor and more promises, had he just said, you know, didn't I explain to you yesterday? And Moses sent them to the, to the war, a thousand of every tribe, them and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, to the war with the holy instruments and the trumpets to blow in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites as the Lord commanded Moses. And they slew all the males. And they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them that were slain. Now, now listen, let's, let's get the tragedy of this verse. Here are kings that, that were slain that are ungodly and, and people that were against the kingdom of God. And, it says and Recham, and Zor, and Hur, and Reba, five kings of Midian, Balaam also, the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. It wouldn't have had to be that way. But you and I, if we insist on our will, on our way in this life, we can expect a tragic end as well. I remember so well a man years ago, somebody again I knew very well, and he told me almost with a twinkle in his eye, you know, he wants to go to heaven someday, but for now he's, he's just happy to be here. He has no plans of dying young. His, his parents or his mom didn't die young. and He has no plans. He has, he has plans of enjoying this life. And you know what? That same man, and I'm not sure how long it was before the end of his life, he had a dream and he got up to heaven's gate and he couldn't get in. I'm not sure how long after that it was that he died, but today that man is in eternity. Did he make things right between then and when he took his last breath? I don't know. But there's a question. And that question is, does God's will, and I know we're faltering people, we struggle. I know, I understand that. I do it just like you do. But does God's will? Does God's voice? Does, does God have access to every part of our life? Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-one. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. First John two seventeen, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Just as sure as the end of a man like Balaam. Just as sure that it will come to a tragic end. In fact, if I could say perhaps even more sure because God Himself said it. If tonight you and I are sold out to do the will of God, He's promised us an eternity with Him. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Our Father in Heaven, tonight, we thank You for Your faithfulness. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the way it still speaks today, the way it is alive. Lord, we thank You for the examples of David like was read in the devotional about a man that said he loved Your precepts, he loved Your statutes, he loved Your laws, he loved Your Word. He wanted to follow them. Lord, help us to be the same tonight. And Lord, thank you too for the scripture that says you, says you understand our frame. You remember we're but dust. But Lord, tonight we pray that you would search our hearts. Lord, are there areas where we have closed our hearts to you? And would you be faithful to speak? Lord, we just committed to you. We realize that the way to heaven is one that, that we need to keep coming back to you and keep coming back to the cross over and over. So continue to speak to our hearts Continue to work in our hearts and work in each one. Lord, tonight, if there's any here that, that You've reminded them there's an area in their life that is unsurrendered, that, that, is, that has not been what You would want it to be, would You help that heart, that soul to be faithful and, and help that someone would be here to help. We just commit it to You for Your glory. May Your will be done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.